0: In 1977, the Track Shack opened on Mills Avenue here in Orlando, Florida. Today, we welcome their son, Track Shack veteran and operations leader, Chris Hughes.
1: Please introduce yourself. Um, I'm Chris Hughes, general manager, uh, operations director at Track Shack. Track Shack. How long has Track Shack been around? 45 years. So, which you just celebrated recently. We, right? we had our 45th anniversary last week. Um, big blowout sale and celebration Saturday which was awesome. We had our our anniversary 5k in the morning. Um, So I was lucky enough to get to run the race and then just be out there grinding on the sales floor with my team all day. Um, And I have to thank you uh, because we needed every bit of parking that day. (laughs) And uh, and I know you had finally gotten your permits to start the Pigs of Construction and and put it on hold till yesterday for us to have that event. Um, So that was good teamwork, man. I appreciate it. But yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I'm 32. So the store has been around for 13 years longer than me, but it's been a, a foundational part of my life from the day I was born so being part of that over the weekend was I mean it's it's weird to be like emotional about a sales day but I mean I came home and like you know my wife's like you you okay and I was like I was tearing up a little I was like it's uh you know it's it's powerful I'm just so proud of my family
0: because I think we're in the same kind of boat like I grew up in the ice cream business with my dad and you you grew up in the shoe business with your parents so they started 45 years ago Mm -hmm. Give me a little bit of the
1: background, like,
0: how you grew up in the business, right?
1: Sure. Being really young, neither myself or my sister, I think, would ever have dreamed of want anything to do with the business because we put on the races every weekend, right? So, okay. like, when my parents couldn't afford babysitting, we were young, and, like, the store's done very well, and, and we've lived great lives. My sister and I are lucky. But when we were real young, things were still growing, man, and my parents were still building the framework. And... Uh, so, like, they took us to the race and, like, one of our employees would watch us in, like, a stroller when we were, like, five or six. We're toddling around. So, like, 4 a.m. wake-up calls we're every rough. Saturday when you're, like, five years old. It gets really old, man. So, when my sister was, like, 13 and I was 10 and she could watch me, we're like, nice, we'll sleep in, you know, like, That's watch cartoons at the house. Um, so, for me, it was when I started to run track. Um, and that that kind of coincides with what
0: me. age did you start running? So
1: like I ran it all through middle school. Okay. I was a, a fat little like in sixth grade. I was this chubby <laughs> like no I'm I'm dead serious. <laughs> I, think like I, I think I think I was like I was probably too. I was probably like five foot you know two in sixth grade right. and weighed the same that I was like my senior year running cross country weighed at like five nine because I just you know sprouted you grew, up sprout. and, and didn't pack any weight on um because you know you're running sixty miles a week you stay. You stay thin. But in eighth grade, I kind of hit that first growth spurt. I thinned out a little, and I ran a decent time in the mile. And even then, still, I was playing Pop Warner football, and I'm thinking, like, oh, I'll try to do that in high school. And I was on my way to Edgewater, who had just played in, like, the last three state championships, and they had, like, kids going off. You know, I was never going to make that football team. Okay. And on um, the cross-country coach... Uh, just really encouraged me to come out. He had literally been there since the 70s. He had coached against my dad when my dad ran at Winter Park. Really? Yeah, and he's like, hey, you ran that, you know, whatever, it was like a 540-mile decent for a middle school kid, but would you come out for the team? And and my pops basically was like, I don't care if you run. Like, it's the family sport, but, like. It's
0: coach- not a big thing.
1: Yeah, but Coach Benz, he liked a lot. Who was at dad- Edgewater. He's, like, he's like, Ted Benz is a great guy who would like, even though he was at a different school in high school, I guess it helped him out. He's like, go to one practice man, I liked it. And I kept going and I ended up good at it. And you know, you're a kid and you succeed in sports. You're going to kind of dial into that. So I started working at the store part time at 16. And then it just kind of became a thing of like, I was just so proud of what they built. And I was so dialed in to the running community myself that it didn't ever make sense to do anything else, which is, it's weird. Like most people don't, say like i'm gonna do something at 16 I, I look around sometimes in my day-to-day and go oh i'm that's i'm doing this i'm doing the thing yeah, i said i was gonna life. do yeah. yeah
0: that is important because at the end of the day like when you're 16 you're trying to still figure it out there's people that still For figure sure. it out at
1: 30 i was trying to figure it out at 30 i, I got friends you know floating around moving to different cities sure. or you know kind of just up and moved to new york after college and have had jobs but not careers and there's sometimes almost something romantic about that lifestyle, right? If they're paying their bills and they're happy and they're just kind of doing their thing, but but for me that like, I, I always needed kind of that track like knowing what the end game was.
0: So you go to college, I think in Florida State, I right? I did go to Florida State, Because yes, you sir. went with Jake.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah, I met yeah. him in my first class of my first day of freshman year.
0: For people that don't know, Jake was my running coach, and he used to work at Track Shack as he well. Did.
1: He did. He works for Brooks uh, Running now, which, which is, is great. Is hilarious because his last name is Brooks. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I forgot that. That's funny. After you graduate, you just go straight into the family business? I did not. I didn't. And this is where I give uh, my parents a ton of credit because as much as like – what much as I say I wanted that sure thing and, and like, you know, yeah, there's that, that bohemian lifestyle of figuring out your next move. And like I said, you see some of your friends do that and you're almost like, oh, that's, that's interesting, you know, floating around. But like, I wanted somewhat of a sure thing, but I was not a sure thing, man. In my early 20s, I had a lot to figure out. I was young, I was, was too confident, I was dumb. Um, so they wanted me to work in the industry. So I was super fortunate. Um a company called First Place Sports in Jacksonville. And they they open the same year that we did in 1977. They do a really similar thing, except Jacksonville's really big. It's spread out. So they have six stores instead of one. But they put on races um, they put on the Gate River Run, which is like the the 15 K national championships for the U.S. So, you know, really big events like we do as well. And they took me under their wing. Let me kind of be an assistant manager for a couple of years. And I would just like send sales reports <laughs> to my parents and be like, look how good I'm doing here. Like, when do I get to come back home? So they brought me back home and they're like, guess what? You're not going to sell shoes. And I spent the first year and a half at uh, the event side of the company with the operations team. Right back to what I hated at 5 a.m., I was up at 3, 4 in the morning loading trucks and setting up events. Because even though they knew that the retail side of it is, is what I'd known, it's what I've been doing since I was 16, they wanted me to get a feel for, for the entirety of what the company does. And, and frankly, I think... What I was too naive to realize at the time and I think now I've benefited from is they wanted to humble me a little bit and loading a truck at four in the morning in the summertime in Florida humbles you really quick. So,
0: My dad humbled me when I was 13, getting me up at four in the morning
1: yeah,
0: every day during summer to yep. go sell fucking ice cream. <laughs> Dude, I hated it.
1: You do, but like you appreciate it later, right? Isn't it so? It, it's yeah. I think it's I appreciate
0: it. Maybe in my thirties, I and, yeah. and now it gives me a, you know, my work ethic is because of you sure. know what my dad built as a base. For sure. Um, I don't give him enough credit for that. So here's the credit, Dad. You know, when I graduated college, I thought I was gonna go back to Puerto Rico to just run the company. You sure. know? Because that's that's what you think when you're 21. Yeah. And my dad sold it. And I was like, oh, wow. "Oh fuck! What do I do now?" Oh man, yeah. where did you
1: go to school? Sorry,
0: Rollins. Oh, okay. yeah, I went to I Rollins never knew that. A yeah, bunch yeah. of friends yeah. that went there. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I graduated '05, and then my dad literally sold the company in April of 2005. The rugs under you got no opportunity. And You
1: and him like talked. Like, was there? Oh, I knew it was going on. You... Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I knew it was going on, but but I still thought that it wouldn't go through. Right. So I, I said, man, like, you know, the possibilities of this happening. And then it did. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, I think it was for the best because I, I wanted to stay in the States. I didn't want to go back to Puerto Rico at that point. Uh, but I did years later and then I ended up getting fired and that's how I get in the restaurant business. Okay. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. So, so you basically did that in Jacksonville. Yep. How did they move you around so that you could understand the operations of a company like that? Cause six stores is a, it's, it's, it's intricate. You know, yeah. there's a lot of moving
1: parts and then activities too. You guys do it here. I spent time at most of the locations. They were where I was Used the most is they'd had a brand new store, so if you know Jacksonville's at the town center, which is like huge, yeah, either you know, depending on what type of shopper you are, it's either retail, you know heaven or dystopia. Yeah. Um, and they've actually downsized that store, which I don't blame them because the rent was through the roof. I mean it was it was this beautiful location. Um, but it was basically me and another guy running that floor most of the time, the two of us, because the six store staff is thinner. So it's a little different, you know, with one location here, like when you've come in, we have a race, right? We have seasonal staff that's just handing out your race packets. We have cashiers that like ring you out. Me and my boy, David, and this is like, they're an awesome company. It's just people doing something differently. When you have different doors, you have to operate that way. Uh, I'm super tight still with with both the owners, Doug and Jane and my GM there, Brian, Um, you know, me and him bounce stuff off each other all the time. But me and this guy, David, who he was 36, he'd like Worked for like Exxon, but in like the corporate world, and just kind of got burnt out. Wanted to change into running, and, and moved back home to Jacksonville. And uh, dude, we were selling people shoes. You, you got like two or three customers per each of us that were selling shoes at the same time. And then if there was a race, we're handing them out their race packets. We're ringing them out too. We didn't have a cashier. It was uh it was crazy, but it like it made you learn to hustle, you know. Right. So like when we're super busy now on the floor, I, it's it's nothing new for me.
0: It was a whole whole training guide of how to do business with less employees. For sure.
1: And, man, I was super lucky with that twice. I got to see a different framework in Jacksonville because of the six locations and because there wasn't, like I said, necessarily assigned positions like cashier, packet pickup, handout, things like that. And I didn't do as much with their event company. I started learning more of that when I came back home here. But – my junior year of college, when I was at Florida State, there was two um, Canadian Olympians. Is it that much funnier? The Canadian that ended up marrying a yeah, Canadian yeah. one day. Uh, one of which the greatest miler in the history of Canada, probably top five greatest milers in like Olympic history. Kevin Sullivan's been to, I think it was six Olympics. Uh, he's the head coach now actually at Michigan for cross country and track. And that's where he it was his alma mater. His now ex-wife, but his wife at the time. Um, so they don't own the store anymore, but he was, she was coaching the Florida state women's team. Okay. So he had just retired from professional running. He's in Tallahassee and he's like, what am I going to do? I'll open up a shop. And a guy that he had kind of mentored who ran at university of Michigan was Canadian as well. Um, his wife was working just like a sales rep job in Florida. So they decided let's move to Tallahassee so he could be close to Kevin. They opened the store together. They had never sold shoes a day in their life. Okay. So I'm 20 um, I mean, I have some experience. I, I have some experience. I wasn't necessarily showing up on a, on a full night sleep every night. Sure. This, is, this is college. This is Florida State. To right? be expected. But I, yeah, I mean, I was there the day they opened their doors. So I got to see this multi-store operation in Jacksonville right after college. And I got to see a startup like from the ground floor up and be I was literally the first person they hired and actually trained out the rest of their staff that would come on board. And so that was like a really crazy opportunity that young to be, and they were so small, they didn't even really have like manager titles. I think I was making like 10 bucks an hour, but for all intents and purposes, I was the you're GM. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think that's a lot of people in the business world when they're starting up, you know, hey, they could be a great salesman, but the back end, the boring stuff is actually the most important.
1: And no one will preach that more than my mother.
0: And I know. I spent last
1: Monday sitting around, you know, Did doing payroll with her which is, I'm not, a, I'm not a sit still and do paperwork type of guy, but it's important for the, the learning curve. But there was a couple of different things. Like she would try to figure out how to open up drop-down bars, and she does this, you know, every other Monday. And she's like, oh, I don't know where to change this amount. I'm like, try to click that arrow. And she's like, oh. I just, so, so some of the basics of just growing up with the Internet, you know, I was able to contribute a bit, but on the whole, just sitting there absorbing and learning. and.
0: That's one of the things I I find very interesting now because obviously your business was created, you know, I want to call it the old school way, right? Absolutely. The retail, it was, you know, the cat, the old cash registers, not the, you know, the POS systems that now keep inventory and know exactly where everything is. So they started from that era to now, and then you come in, how have you, I want to say, adapted the business to current times um, because I, I know that it's hard to, to, you know, to push change yeah. when, when somebody's so used to doing business a certain way.
1: No, for sure. It's a balancing act. And then there's the benefit though, too, of like how they did it old school before all the technology and like, we're still successful. So successful, you don't, yeah. don't want to lose that grassroots aspect of it. Cause that's your culture. That's like what built you know, the community base of, of our customers and our race participants, but you do have to reach people in a new way. Like we had a, a big, um, like all staff kind of breakfast type thing, um, to kick off the whole 45th celebration. Um, and so just an example of where it was to where it is. They, they broke out a training manual for the staff from 1983. It was written on typewriter. Right. So so cool. Um, yeah. And, and so for me, even little things like did the day I came back, from Jacksonville is like, we should probably be talking about trying to get online. And, and my mom is real old school. And, and I don't, like, I fully understand this perspective that at that time it's was when Amazon, everything was first blowing up. And you looked at that as people, you know, sort of siphoning off our customer base for the convenience for this and that. And my kind of whole thing was like, we'll just, you know, try to, try to meet them in the middle and offer it ourselves. But in a weird way, COVID was a huge opportunity to, to push change. the tech side of things more because when we had to shut our doors down and we're in Florida, so, you know, thankfully we were ultimately shut down for less than two months. So many of our friends in the industry suffered a lot more with shutdowns. But we thought it could be six months. We didn't know. So we didn't have an online store and we shut down, dude. I had the, the RIT people wire our phones at the store to ping to my cell phone. Okay. So I'm sitting in my house and then I had two or three managers at the store that would like answer the phones there and fulfill curbside orders, but they could like transfer it over to me or if it rang all the way through, it would go to me. And, um, I'm on these brands, websites, like drop shipping shoes to people's houses over the phone. Like they're just like reading me their address. I'm typing in the credit card number. And so right around the same time, there's a guy who actually owns a store up in Northern California but he had partnered with a lot of our brands to build out a, a format, basically, for uh, an online vehicle for running retail specifically. So it could not only show our in-store inventory, but it matched up with, like, whatever colors, styles the brand might have that we would have to special order. Oh, really? So people can, and that's what the, that's the cool. platform we're still using. So if you go trackshack.com and you click shop online, that's going to show you options beyond what we have in the store. And so then people could just click, order the store. I mean, it was this huge multi-week project to launch it. The funniest thing about it, though, is we got, like, hundreds of orders the first day. And I'm like, all right, my phone's not going to ring for 10 hours every day. You know, and I didn't mind. You're grinding, hustling, just trying to keep the doors open in a, in a situation like COVID. But I think it was, like, five days after the website went live, governor comes out and is like, all right, retail can open back up again. Like, <laughs> God, I was happy to open it. I was like, damn, I just launched this, man. Like, <laughs> But that's been big, you know, just the opportunity to make an Instagram post and click here to buy instead of having to go to the store, having a call and then just utilizing social in general or on TikTok now, which I think I'm too old for. I've never logged into that in my life, but we we got some college kids that help us make those videos. I do a lot of Insta content. So, you know, just adapting to the times.
0: You guys have been able to build a culture for in sure. your company and not only in the company, but in the community. right? Absolutely. And, you know. Uh, A lot of I I was listening yesterday to somebody saying like about recession, like if you believe the recession, like you will be going down with the recession. Sure. And I think you guys have been through so many, so many good and bad times and you've been able to build that base of the community that supports you that your company, you know, always continues to be consistent. Sure, you know, the ups and downs like everybody, ebbs and flows, but it's important that you guys build a solid foundation to 45 years later still be growing and in in, in an Amazon world. Cause I yeah. think we live in an Amazon
1: world. Oh, we world. do. We absolutely do.
0: Do you think that technology played a role somewhere in the company where it just started maybe eroding sales or things that you guys like
1: oh wow you know amazon is going to affect us or they're bigger retailers i think it, in a really weird way and it all like centers around the community part so when i talk about that 1983 training manual right and then that when my parents spoke at that breakfast that day they talked about when they first started putting on races it was to have community events to try to get people to the store. To the store. And the event company is now, you know, Bigger. more successful yeah. than the store. And the store is doing great. But it blew up and has become its own thing. And you get major third-party contracts like what we do with the Disney Marathon and all that. Um, it isn't that Track TrackCheck built a brand and running store. They built a community. Like, Orlando didn't have a running community, and the two grew together. And that is, like, you cannot put a price tag on that, right? That's so invaluable. It's so special. But weirdly, what Amazon did, and and this is kind of a discussion they've had for every year, basically, I think, of, of the industry conferences we go to. They kind of reiterate this fact that retail used to be a pyramid structure. And it was like your little mom and pop like us on top. And then at the bottom was like Dick's and Sports Authority and Academy. Well, only Academy and Dick's are left because it was about convenience and price. And so what Amazon did in offering the ultimate in convenience, the ultimate in price Is they took out the big box retailers that didn't really care about the customer and they created so it went from a pyramid to a barbell schism it almost weirdly helped us because our brands help us a ton too so they have like map pricing right so like if you go to hoka.com or brooks.com unless it's last year's shoe if it's a current model you can't advertise it at a price below retail So if an Amazon dealer below what the brand has set it at at MSRP, right? So like if you go and find an Amazon dealer that's selling that for cheaper, like if we see that we can report that to Brooks and they can lose their license and that's that's huge and that protects the little guy like us. And so if we have the same price and then we're analyzing your gait and we're giving you tips on your training plan and showing you what stretches you need to do for your injury, that personal service and touch People are never not going to crave that. So, we went from the pyramid to this barbell where it's the ultimate in convenience and price, and that's Amazon, or it's boutique with a priority on relationships and service. And so, we just try to go so all into that and we offer the convenience we can with the website and everything else, but it's all about the experience.
0: I think a lot of people focus on the financial so much. And, you know, as I was saying, for us, for example, somebody was telling me about this really ugly situation in a restaurant, a big company restaurant that they had to fire the manager. Um, And the interesting part is that the manager was doing stuff wrong just to make his bonus. Right. So he was cutting corners and and he obviously wasn't letting the company know. And, you know, the company, the store started suffering. Yeah. Right. So I see a lot of those kind of things like, you know, with culture, you have to make sure that your staff know that we never cut corners. 100%. You know? We do we do it right every time. We want to build a sense of community. The relationships are very important. Stuff like that which I think big box retailers lose that.
1: No, oh, for sure. And as right? they're closing rapidly as as a result.
0: So for us in the restaurant business when Uber Eats came in. Right. Right? There was a shift temporarily i don't want to say for a long time because i think people started realizing that the convenience factor is great but the quality is shit right 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 and then now to where we're at now sure it served us a humongous convenience and and it helped a lot of restaurants
1: stay alive during the pandemic during yeah. the pandemic we didn't do it i remember talking to you about that yeah. I, I saw you in the middle of everything and you're like dude they want like 30 percent. you're like no my yeah. food's good enough people will come here you know, well, let them I, come get takeout and uh, you know, I don't have to lose my cut. And I I agree with that.
0: Yeah, but a lot of people don't. A well, lot some of people,
1: people probably do not mean to interrupt you, but you probably had peers that wanted to, when they saw that happen, sort of putting more effort into what they're pushing out the back door as a pseudo ghost kitchen than they were to the customers they're facing, right? Yeah. And you, you forget about the experience. They forgot about That's the, the experience.
0: Track. And 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 even in the sense of the restaurant being shut down, there is a certain experience with takeout. Like the whole sure. experience of going to pick it up and, you know, you may may see your friend there yeah. and stuff like that. Like, Dude, it got you out of the house. It got you out of the house. People enjoyed that. I mean, we have so many cool photos of people. There was a couple that came in in their pickup truck and they set up their yeah. their table on the pickup truck. Yep. I have a picture of that. Like those type of things that you never used to see, obviously, because we've never had this sort of experience. Right. But, I thought that it was such a cool thing that people wanted that sense of community because they weren't going out and they weren't getting social social exposure, stimulation and all that. So, you know, I thought the pandemic was interesting in that sense. And now as we move forward, you know, things fall back right into place where people don't necessarily want the convenience factor. They want to go out and meet people and sit at a table and listen to the noise of the restaurant or, you know, see the experience. And I feel that as a whole, we're moving more towards that again.
1: There's people that were almost like when it's like, Hey, don't leave your house and order everything in. Like it's just, you're massive introverts, right? The people right. who've just always, and there's nothing wrong nothing. with that personality type, but for them, and that's why Uber eats and things like that will always thrive. They're like, okay, I'm going to order my groceries off Amazon and my Uber eats. And I'm going to sit on this couch and never leave. And that is, paradise for them There's sometimes
0: that i feel that way though
1: and 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 i i would consider you i've known you a lot a pretty extroverted cat i I consider the same about myself but sometimes especially when you work with people all day i want to come home and just chill and i'll place my uber eats order but on the whole people like me and you that crave experience and, and we're nowhere near alone in this community when experience is taken away from you for two years you rush back at it. That's why how many people do you know in the last 2 months that were in Europe or Mexico or yeah, overseas man, somewhere cuz they can finally go. It was crazy. Yeah.
0: This summer, I've never seen so many people post I'm here, I'm there yes. like
1: Yeah, dude, all the pent-up trips.
0: Yeah, it was impressive actually. Yeah. Because a lot of people took that chance to go and and we saw it in our sales like at the at the end of July, you know,
1: We slowed down. The combination, I think, of the travel and gas prices, you talked about recessions and fearing that. um, It's funny because the running industry has kind of referred to itself as recession-proof in the past. There was nationally a boom in our industry in 2008. Um, The only other place that saw that was liquor stores, which is, is very ironic. So people are prioritizing either their healthy habits Really? To feel as good about themselves as possible in a pandemic, so they come somewhere less. Or they're diving into the opposite, and, and it's, it's funny because I was talking – you know Dave uh, LaRue, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I was talking to him at the time because I think he wasn't full on just with b He was still doing some stuff with ABC, and he's like – you know, he's like the uh, <laughs> the whole liquor store is recession-proof. He's like, it kind of works. He's like, but the guy that used to get the Grey Goose every Thursday, he's getting our $20 plastic, you know, ABC bottle now. So fortunately, we pretty much only sell high-end stuff, so the people getting their shoes – we're still coming in, but we we started to feel it a little in May and June, and we're like, man, this economy is rough, is it all that? And into July, right as kids were Boom. going back to school, exploding again and, and trying to keep up again with with kind of the the rate and the pace of, of growth in terms of month over month, so which is awesome, the world's best problem to have. Um, but it was so interesting being able to really probably just attribute that to travel. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a multi month period where you can track sales or lack thereof to people simply not being in town to that degree.
0: How do you view growth in the company? Because I feel like for, for us, a, a, a lot of our staff members want growth so that they can grow within the company. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you guys been around for a long time. So how do you guys deal with that
1: portion of it? We, we have the long form uh, conversation when the camera's off, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I might have some some potentially more uh, ambitious yeah. ideas maybe than than, uh, than your some parents. people <laughs> that currently have a little bit more uh, stakeholding control yes. of the company. I think there's some things we're on this. You always want to grow, right? I think that if we have any differences between myself and my parents, it's it, it's growth. What what's well, what that growth means? Because you can add events to the event calendar you can grow the the cap of race participants and that's obviously all on the event side retail is my domain but you can expand with one store and we have we've grown significantly in the last two years um one building might potentially kind of have a cap yeah you can outgrow certain spaces and that is something that's always on my mind and and like it is the people as much as anything else, right? Because I live five minutes from the store. I I love the idea of always having that easy commute and also being hands-on to everything every day. But at bare minimum, you have to be open to growth because you don't want to have someone who's awesome. Like I said, like someone that might come in in a college program that you think is temporary, but you treat every single one of them the same way when they start. So we got someone who's been with us nine and a half years now, where that's how it started. She was at UCF, was part-time, but just had the passion for it and it ended up being what worked out, and, and we've carved out this, you know, career and, and a track for, her, and it's been great. But if you see someone else coming up like that, that you might not have thought was going to be a mainstay, and they express some interest and you see value in them, but you, you talked about that 18% payroll increase, right? Like people come first, everything else. I will absolutely go a little outside the range of my goal each month in terms of we all have those numbers of what we want percent of payroll, everything else to be. But there is a hard cap. There's a hard cap because you said this earlier. If there's not a business, then there's no more growth. There's, there's no, no more, more opportunity growth. for raises. Yeah. For, right. You, you have to have that number to keep growing. Um, but yeah, you, you need sometimes new opportunities to engage people and to motivate them. And, and so I guess to, to put it as simply as possible something I'm always looking into.
0: I just think it's important that companies realize that, yeah, you can, you can have one location. But the biggest problem with that is that you will not be able to attract people that want to grow. For sure. And that's the tough part. Or I you might attract
1: that. them and they're gone in three years. And yeah. that's almost worse because then you've experienced the potential. You, you've put your finger on and identified a talent and said, I could really see this going somewhere. We just don't necessarily have the ability to offer what it would take to keep you long term at this time. Right. Right. And that's right. that's brutal. In the retail side, you
0: guys have had that building for a it's long 96. time. 96 since how 1996 1996 so the retail side is not as intense as the restaurant business obviously because in the sense of like having to renovate the building all the time and all that how have you guys ever thought about renovating that building do you think do you think that would ruin kind of like the feeling that people have i always think about that because like you know people tell me like if you buy a restaurant And that's been around for 20 years. And you go in and you renovate it. Right. Do you think you'll lose those people that really enjoyed the nostalgia?
1: I think a a good example of this is, uh, remember Brian's, which obviously is Gnarly Barley now, over there on Orange? Okay. So Brian's was this little greasy spoon breakfast cafe. was there forever. They owned the building. I think he ended up, like, selling the building... But like keeping the management in place, but they they'd redid everything. Like I would go there in high school. Like me and my dad would go for like 10-mile long runs and then just go, you know, feast on an omelet potatoes. You know, you run 10 miles, eat whatever you want. But it was like, dude, old like, you know, fake pleather couches, with like the stuffing coming out and duct tape on them. I and mean, it was gross, but it was the atmosphere and it went with the food. So then they kept serving the same food, but they like dolled up the tables and everything. It wasn't and the same. It, and it completely tanked. Because once you you do that makeover, kind of you probably need a menu makeover that goes with it. If you're going to totally change the aesthetic, you change the scene. And I don't think we could ever touch the outside of our building. That's so nostalgic. The runner's painted, plus just the whole the shape of it, how it was the former Marine store. It looks like the boat. It, it catches your attention. It does. Uh, we actually did, like 10, 12 years ago, do a decent overhaul inside the store. We did a lot of the flooring and the walls. and. Men trends move fast. So a lot of that stuff's a little dated already. Um, so I've got a shoe wall project going right now. We're going to revamp that. So do it in, in little pieces, you sure. know, and, and if that comes through the way our kind of our vision is for it and it ends up looking a little more modern and sleek, then you might see that make its way to the apparel section. So kind of piece by piece. Um, but you got to stay, you got to stay sleek and modern. You got to be on trend, but you can do that in retail. You can definitely do that and keep your culture right. because if you're selling the same products, if you're training your people the same way, that's totally fine. I, I use the Brian's example, because it's just kind of funny where it was like, if you're still serving this like greasy, divey food, but you have these like really sprucey looking, t- it just like they kind of clashed. Right? right. But when we're doing like high end, basically boutique retail, I mean, for running, that's what we are. Um, you do got to stay with the time. So, you know, a little less just black grid rack and old school slot wall, it's effective, but I've, I've got, we've got, I should say, we've got some visions. Andres actually has been, been super helpful with that. He and I helped kind of, he helped me a ton map out a vision for what we want that wall to look like. And that'll be starting in the next few months. But
0: you've seen, for example, Kanye go into the business and evolve it in the sense of like now celebrity is huge in that, right? yeah yeah, And it's the same thing with restaurants. Celebrity now is a huge thing, like in the restaurant business, Bad Bunny opened a restaurant in Miami. It's nuts, Right. right? Right. Um, do you think uh that's the way that it's gonna move in the industry now? Like where celebrity has become now a staple in the
1: But no man, listen, there was already it's kind of funny, they tried to do a Jordan run line and it didn't really take off, which I was kind of wanted to see it take yeah, off. I, I actually loved knew it. it. it <laughs> kid Kieran that ran at Florida State that worked for Nike and was hoping um on that project. Um, but the celebrities probably be more on the side of like your Olympians, your pro athletes, but and in, in terms of just the functionality of the product, we're already at, and I'm sure it'll get beyond this, like there's high school kids running times that there's always been outliers that run as fast as these kids are now, but now there'll be like a, a pack of the top 20, 30 kids in the country that are all doing what, when I was in high school would have been like, so obviously the single standout who was just so far ahead, of everybody else. And it'd be insane to just say it's all the shoes but when you take kids that have tons of talent and give them technology that we never had that sure as hell my dad never had right go to our wall and it's so funny how often people ask us if the like we call it our shoe museum so it's shoes from like the 70s through 90s people ask if they're for sale and i always think it would be so obvious that like they're very old Um, But some of them did. They're like basically like suede uppers and like, you know, rubber that thin on the bottom that my pops and them were running in. So then you start getting the cushier foams and the lighter weight stuff when I was coming up. But then a racing flat when I was in high school and really like racing at a semi high level, the highest I was ever at. You just wanted to be as thin as light as possible. So you're sacrificing a ton of cushion. You may be putting your joints a little bit at risk, but you, it's light. Now you've got shoes that maybe even weigh slightly more, but they're this thick. They've got a carbon plate in them. They make it basically impossible to not have perfect form. They propel you forward. And it's to the point that the Olympic Committee, you know, the IAAF, they have already had to set standards for what's allowed with shoe technology. Because brands were debuting wow. brand new shoes and having people go out, say, win the New York Marathon. The, the
0: Nike guy. That did right. the sub four? Is the it sub two. Sub two. two. Sub two, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sub two insane. marathon.
1: Yeah, that was, you know, technically doesn't count as a record know, because it you know. was with cars leading them and uh, with pacers and all these different things. But brands were coming out and like triple stacking the carbon plates and like it was brand new technology. So the rule now is you can only have the single carbon plate and your shoe has to have been out to market for multiple months before it debuts at an event. Because if people just have prototype technology, it, it has gotten that crazy that the shoes are at least a definable advantage. You have to still have the legs. They do not run for you. It still hurts like hell. And they push themselves to insane limits and train so hard. But, the, yeah, the technology side of it has come a super, super long way. Where are celebrities going to go with it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can tell you, you know, like On is one of our best-selling brands. And they've kind of just started to really tap into like high cushion, really quality everyday training shoes. I'm not trying to knock them. And they're a great brand. And Gabe and Abby, my, my reps from them, I love to death. Um, but they, they would even admit, my reps, even corporate reps from them, I talked to. They were like a gym shoe. They were a function everyday shoe. And they were decent for running. But they made it so everybody had to have them on the wall because the Kardashians were wearing them. Okay. So everybody wanted to know about them. Everyone had questions about them. And there, was, there used to be a lot of tough conversations of like, I know those are super trendy right now. I know that's the hot brand, but it's not really what works for your foot. And now credit to them, they still have like the sleek, trendy gym shoes, but they've adapted and have those really quality everyday trainers too. So they're broadening their market that way. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's definitely a new brand that's kind of taken maybe kind of some of the celebrity and trend component and broken into the running scene that way, which is not, you know, it's always usually not been usual. the opposite where right. it starts with the quality of product and then they try to make it more hip. I mean, Nike's the freaking perfect example of that. All they made was running shoes in 1973, right. which is
0: insane. I just like the fact that how brands just stay consistent to their product, right? Yes, yeah, that's, like,
1: that's what Brooks has killed it with,
0: right? And they they've adapted and little by little, but they don't get into the you know the celebrity real right. quick because I think right. that's a that's a thing that doesn't last forever, for sure, right? And that's. Also, what you guys have done with your business, you yeah. build that sense of community, you build that business to, to be doing events around town. Everybody knows Track Shack for doing, you know, the Disney marathons and all that, that builds that sense of community and allows your stores or your store to be, you know, everlasting. Absolutely. Right? And then you see all these stores that open and last maybe two or three years that are doing the other portion of it, like looking cool and trying right. to do like, right. you know, let's say the Yeezy, selling the Yeezys, the Jordans and all that. People that listen to our podcast are really interested in knowing, you know, how these small companies get get through the hard years of formation. For sure. To be able to stay consistent in the long term, like yeah. there's a lot of restaurants, for example, on our side that open and, you know, they're quickly very popular. And then all of a sudden you see, wait, what happened? Yep. Right. And it's and it's the operations. Oh, yeah. That really fuck it up. It's, it's not necessarily that the, the restaurant's food is not
1: good. It's just that day in and day out consistently. Right. And it's, you listen, having relationships with people like you and, and seeing you grow and thrive and expand and maybe dip your toes in things a little different than what you're doing with pig Floyds. It's, yeah. it's inspirational for someone like me going into the second generation of a business and figuring out what are those next steps. And so much of what we talked about today is growth. So like having a neighbor and a friend who's growing and moving in different directions and, and being able to see that helps, but it, it all comes back to community. Right. And like with pigs, it takes off, it's going to be in part with the Pig Floyds community following over. And so sure. that's what I said going back to the 70s. Like my parents built a community first and, and the business followed. And it's, you have to be driven and you have to love what you do to do that. Because if you're only motivated by the money, if you're very good at what you do, you'll usually be successful. But typically that's someone who's gonna be a successful employee. They're gonna be good in a hedge fund, they're good the market. They're not gonna be an entrepreneur or a business owner because you have to, you wanna eat, you gotta make a living, but you have to, to a certain degree, not care about the numbers until you need to care about the numbers. Um, And then like the celebrity to your point, your running stores, you're not gonna see a running store bringing in Yeezys for the most part, but we know stores that have kind of wanted to only cater to the elite runner, right? And that's a major pitfall, where it's kind of like everyone on the staff is fast, it's all about what's your time in the 5K our biggest customer base is people that are brand new to the sport. And that's how you expand your community is you get people to love something from the ground up and you get people who are fanatical like Disney marathon. I mean, Mickey Mouse is a great celebrity. We don't do a lot of celebrity endorsements, but I will say Mickey does not hurt. Um, But it's, yeah, community has to be the name of the game. And if you take care of them and you're smart with your financials, it's, it makes it sound easy to say that, because it's insanely difficult no, to actually put no, it into no. action. Yeah, yeah. But you always have to prioritize the community.
0: I just think it's great, and 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 I'll leave you with this. Um, I had the pleasure of running OUC twice, and I feel that you know, for example, a marathon like that, you would see people that pass, passing me because I'm a slow runner that you would never think were into running, or <laughs> and I don't want to say like you know they they. They pass me quickly, and I'm like left in the dust, and I, I that's so cool to it's, me. At nah, least it, it can be motivating. <laughs> it could be motivating because I see people, you know, walking the marathon like the half marathon or doing go just going out there.
1: It would, for sure. I mean, I was I told you I was like a 130 pound high school cross country runner. A couple months ago, I was decent bit over 200 i mean i'd I'd gotten where i didn't look like that much of a runner for someone who did it in the industry but i had run it i'd run for so long that i would like do OUC, and that's what i would joke to my coworkers, like i'm gonna go out and hurt somebody's feelings because i'd pass the the guy five percent body fat from the gym breathing so hard and i just kind of scoot by at mile 10 like what what is this guy doing i'm like i've been doing this a long time i run a lot it's true uh, man but definitely uh you know i mean i'm (laughs) 6'8 280
0: and i had ladies that were Much older than me passing me by and I was I mean it's sort of inspirational because you're like, damn. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: No, it is amazing like what you can push yourself to in spite of kind of the appearance, what your athleticism might be if you put the training in. So that's great, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Awesome. Hey, thanks for watching. I'm gonna sit here to subscribe.
0: Hello? Subscribe.